This is a very special episode you're listening to because of two reasons. First, we're going to take a look at the future trends that will affect marketing in 2024. So I will also share my perspective with you. And second, after more than 20 interviews, we have our first recurring guest with us, Cordula Pflügli. I'm very happy to be back for a new episode and a new episode in the new year. And always a pleasure talking with you and discussing a few of the upcoming trends and things to look out for in 2024. Welcome to Future Strategies. I'm your host, Florian Schleicher. And this show is my gift to you. In honest conversations with inspiring marketing leaders, we explore how marketing and strategies can achieve sustainable growth. If you would like to apply this to your own projects, that's exactly what I do as a strategist, coach and workshop facilitator. I'm here to help you build the marketing of your futures. So let's jump right into it. So for those of you who don't know her from the first recording, with a background in psychology, Cordula has been in marketing for almost a decade, helping brands launch on social and supporting startups on their growth journey. She previously ran her own social media consultancy and was part of the founding team of a startup called Future Females that empowers female entrepreneurs in Africa. And Cordula has worked on marketing projects in three different countries before working as the marketing director for the Next Web Conference in Amsterdam. Cordula now supports brands and clients with their marketing strategy and writes a bi-weekly newsletter on Substack, which I can highly recommend myself. So with that being said, welcome back to the show, Cordula. Thank you. Caitlin Keeley once put it, the future belongs to those who think about it. So let's not just think about the future, let's talk about it. And of course, in the last weeks, I saw there is a gazillion trend reports out there right now. But what are some of the trends that caught your eye? Yeah, that's a very good question. As a marketer, I think we're at the moment bombarded with, with these trends that kind of predict what will happen in 2024. And I also always read all of these headliney articles, I want to say. But I really, the ones that I'm going to share today, I, I they caught my eye because they are not the super, super obvious ones. Maybe one is, but mm -hmm. I cho chose on purpose like some that are a little bit more, something that's more niche, that's maybe more interesting because this year was definitely the year that followed the year of AI, right? After we talked about it in our last episode yeah. and everything that all the articles I read, I don't know about you, but all of them were highlighting everything with AI and AI is influencing marketing. So I purposefully chose trends that are not the most obvious so that you hopefully will mm -hmm. enjoy something new. So the ones that caught my eye that I found particularly interesting is first, there's a new focus target group and it's called the Generation Alpha. Mm -hmm. So a lot of you will be will have heard about the Gen, Gen Z, that's we call also the TikTok generation or the currently very young people that really draw in a lot of attention of the marketers. But now the Generation Alpha, these are classified as people that are born between 2010 and 2024. And I find this mm -hmm. is very interesting. It will be much more interesting for marketers now going forward. And then secondly, I want to talk a little bit about how podcasts are evolving in 2024. Okay. 
and how they are going full force on video. So this is something that has also been coming in 2023. We've seen it, but there's a lot of new things that could come with this trend and with podcasts going full on video and having big productions behind it and going all in this format. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And then the last trend that caught my eye is something that's maybe a bit more performance marketing, technical marketing trends. It's that in 2024, we will have less of a feeling of relying on our old analytics tools, on everything mm. that has worked before that we used like Google Analytics and our third-party cookies. A lot of that is now becoming things of the past and we really have to adapt to this new scenario. So this is my last trend is that we can rely less on our old analytics. So these are the three topics that I chose. <laughs> wow, I love this. I especially love it because you really focused on a meta level with all of those and it's not as you said the obvious trends uh, and i want to start with the generation alpha because i think it's really interesting that we now and i had a presentation at a client last year about youth behavior and i see that a lot of companies still struggle with millennials mm -hmm. and then after millennials it's gen z and then we have gen alpha so what do you think will gen alpha change for marketing Yeah, so this is something that, especially when you have a brand or a product that requires or is targeting a young demographic, you have to think about it now because the Gen Alpha will be turning older and then become your clients. And as marketers, we're trying to advertise a bit earlier before you almost like fit our segment. So the Generation Alpha is unique because of two things. So they are second born digital native generation. Mm. So they really are already now the second generation that just grows up digitally. So something that we, as our generation, you and me, we, when we were kids, when we were teenagers, we didn't have the mobile phones. We didn't have social media in this broad spectrum that we have it now. So for us, we're very different. Then came obviously the Gen Z and now it's the alphas. And the alphas are also special because Once all of them have been born, which will be at the end of 2024, they will make up for the biggest generation that's on the planet that we have seen. So mm. also becoming a huge, huge target demographic, but also they are really deciders because in just by number, mm. and by scale, they make up for such a big part of our human population. And what we're seeing or what I'm reading in a lot of the articles is that They are very much on YouTube. They are very much on TikTok. They are a little bit of the video and screen generation. But at the same time, because they've been so used to it, they're not as addicted to it as it might seem. They tend to be able to put their phone down and they tend to also have an interest in the outdoors, in things outside of screens. So don't immediately assume Gen Z to Gen Alpha. So I think what yeah. marketers really need to take from it is that, that they are profoundly different, the Gen Z and the Alphas, and that it's, it is playing a lot of the marketing campaigns will play on some of these platforms as YouTube. YouTube seems to be the, the most popular one. Mm -hmm. But then also really learning about some of the values that they stand for, The world they're growing up in is also quite a different world than we used to grow up in. Yeah. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of, with the rise of the AI, there's a lot of controversy. So like really trying to understand how they grow up and also kind of tap into some of these 
pain points of the generation. I think that's something that I see will be will be a good language to choose when speaking to this specific target audience. Yeah, very interesting. And two things in there that I also read in a report is first, and that's a quote from Zoe Scanman, founder of Bodacious, who said, technology is a fundamental part of Gen Alpha lives and intrinsically linked to everything that they do from their entertainment to the way they educate themselves and their forms of connection which each other with their friends and their parents. So that was one thing you also mentioned, the digital way how they experience things. And the second thing, and you mentioned it in your last sentence, is also the problems they're dealing with. We see that Gen Zs are more likely than millennials and also Gen Alpha to describe their generation as stressed out mm -hmm. and more likely to agree that my generation is under a lot of pressure to fix the world's issues because there are a lot of issues out there. Mm -hmm. And they also report on being more lonely. Mm. And I think that also stems from the first point, being more digitally focused. Much more of their lives is focused on virtual uh, worlds and not so much the real world, which is not to say that that's bad. I think it just shifts things. Um, and we see some things like AI chatbots, for example, are becoming more and more a thing. I read about this. Karen AI, who is a digitized person that plays your friend and that you can interact with. Mm -hmm. So I think AI will become more and more also used in a therapeutic way. And I had a client this year in that area too. And I think it's a super exciting field to, to be working with this generation and thinking of solutions, how we can already attract them. Have you seen any good approaches to that? And what do you think is needed for marketers to tap on that need of being stressed out and feeling a little bit more lonely. Yeah, I, I'm still looking and I'm now quite curious to do more in-depth research on this to see the first brands have really good examples of how to really attract this particular generation. But it's also, um, I think what, what I could imagine will happen is to have the two components the digital world with something that also then happens in the real world. So that if you are as a brand in any kind of lifestyle segment, you will want to make that connection that also you become a part in the digital world of the of this generation, but then also in the real world. Mm. So anything that at the moment I'm thinking of immediately, obviously coming from an event, big conference background, but I'm thinking of events and coming together in community events and things like that in combination with an offline community or like yeah. with an online community. So something like that where it kind of speaks to the two points. So your your online friend, your online brand relationship, but then also, as you said, tackling the things that in real real life loneliness or the fact that you also in real life need a community and friends and real life experiences. Yeah. One of the brands that I saw that is already working on that is Lego, especially yeah, Legoland, because yeah. they learned that Gen Alpha is really invested in experiences mm. and experiences for them means analog and virtual. So they try mm. to add a digital layer to a lot of their experiences like virtual reality roller coasters, AR interfaces, and they are now looking at AI and holograms in combination with the metaverse. So I think there are some very aware brands out there that already know how to deal with that. And what I also saw is, because you, you mentioned that podcasts are going to be a trend. Um, I saw that the younger generations, um, for example, 
74% of Gen Z said that they use audio to understand themselves better compared with just 66% of millennials. So there's a clear sign from the younger audiences like Gen Alpha for the growth of podcasts. What yeah. does that mean for a brand though? Does every brand need podcast or is it just a podcast strategy or what's your take on that? Yeah, that's almost like a super nice caveat into our next trend into the podcasts that I think the podcast is still the on the rise so it's still getting more and more interesting a lot more brands are jumping on it they have i see a lot more sponsored podcasts so a brand will not necessarily start up the podcast themselves they will team up with an influencer or already a person of that is in the in the public eye and they will then just be the sponsor or the brand behind the podcast and kind of define any subjects that go hand in hand, right? That could be a mm -hmm. cosmetic brand. It could be like a playful brand, anything, toys. And now where it's good, it's getting interesting is like the podcast genre or the, the podcast format, which was just used to be audio, now has this whole new video component. You see mm. all the big players, really from everyone, from the first ones that started it, like Friedman, but now it's also Huberman. They're all, they're all on video. Yeah. Every podcast episode is screened, sometimes well-produced, sometimes more lo-fi produced interview video of the person, of the two people sitting together and discussing. And the one thing that we haven't seen there yet is, okay, so if it's not a an interview setup, so let's say your example of Ligo, something mm -hmm. else, How do you do a video version of that podcast? How do mm. you make that interesting if it's just a person talking or if it's telling a story instead of mm -hmm. people sitting there and being interviewed? So this is what I, I find interesting about what the future of podcasting holds. So if you are a brand, then I would totally recommend looking into the, into the opportunities of podcasts. And then these days, when you really want to start a podcast that has a big reach, it seems almost inevitable that you have to do it with a video format as well, just because of the fact that if you want to reach, if you want to really reach broad, then you need to offer the people the video format and the mm -hmm. audio. Because I mean, what I have noticed is when everyone first started doing video, I don't know how it is for you, but in my French circle, the people I know, they all lis just listen. Nobody watches the mm video when we are commuting when we're running we are totally, listening yes. to our favorite podcasts but it seems that what we just spoke about the generation alpha is on youtube so they might not they wouldn't listen on spotify they would just watch the video uh, or watch pieces of the video you can also then dissect the video into short little bites the, the most famous bites of the episode you have all all of that so i think what we will see as a trend is that everyone who comes new to the game in 2024, the podcast game, and who wants to really start a very big mass scale podcast will have a video strategy with it and quite a clear one. And where I'm quite excited about, I don't know how, what, what do you think about this? But is, is there a chance that we could almost go back to video is great, high production video is great and, and mm. scripting, But then isn't it interesting to have live video again? I know that live video is kind of on a, on a back step, like after Instagram live had its ups mm. and now it's down and there's not so much live anymore. But for a podcast, wouldn't it be very interesting to have a non-script and you really know it's live mm. so that 
you are watching it live, a lot of people tune in live, you have bigger, much bigger incentive to watch it live mm. and you could make it interactive and which is very interesting for brands, but also for, for personas to have the audience live tune in, upvote most interesting question and have the podcast actually ask the guest or interact, be more interactive with the audience. So I'm almost thinking, where's this video trend going? Is it going into the direction of live podcasting on video again? Very interesting. And I'm now thinking, okay, gosh, should I do a video version of this too? <laughs> But there, there is one big reason. And I listened to one of my favorite podcasters, Jenny Blake, describing why she does not do video podcasts. And she's very successful with her podcast. And she said she wants herself and her guests to be as relaxed as possible. And whenever a video is turned on, people who are not that media savvy, mm -hmm. they shut down a little bit of themselves and they get very nervous sometimes. They think a lot about how they look, how they move their hands around. Does it look nice? And do they come across intelligent looking too? And I've seen that with reaching out to my guests here on this show. And a lot of people ask me, okay, will the, will the video be recorded? Because I'm not feeling comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also a differentiation when it comes to cultures from the United States, where people are much more keen on also being in front of a camera compared to Europe, where people are more shy. So I'm very curious how this will develop. I think it's a very interesting thought experiment, also about the life setting, because it gives this experience part, as you mentioned. It's more yeah. than just listening to it and you have to really make time for it and in a way it's all going full circle i think mm. when you think about netflix what their big thing was okay now you can watch on demand mm. and it's ad free now yeah. netflix is experimenting with ads as yeah. is amazon prime so we're going back to that again and maybe it's also the same with a live setting yeah the live setting i mean The live setting, maybe not so much. We will see it in both formats, in whether it's live or not live. There, there is more room for advertising now also. If you yeah. think of the traditional podcast, you can have an in-podcast sponsor or kind of give like that kind of ad space away. But if you now also have the video space, you could, there's different things that I think are not fully explored yet that you could also then bring a product into this video or you could bring in something that feels a bit more native to the video that than just how you would have done it on the audio podcast. So mm. I wonder how, how people will also explore that option. I'm just seeing that even also now Spotify's new exclusive podcast, they all have a video component. So Spotify is also realizing that's super important to be yeah all in on video and that's now all the big players right maybe it's it's different for these really big name productions than it is for let's say a very specific one country podcast that has a more niche audience i think then it's also more interesting to have something non-scripted if you have a very famous person on the podcast because you want yeah. them to be raw and you want them to be authentic and maybe not as scripted as a podcast could be yeah so maybe this will just be more interesting for interview podcasts and specifically for the us and then something that we can take from it as people who are interested in podcasts or running our own podcasts is that video is just 
your gateway of reaching new audiences. So if you yeah. you can grow to one extent on Spotify, but the video just allows you to cut, as I said, in shorts and these videos get shared, but also to have a new audience that finds you over from exactly. that video on Instagram or on YouTube. And that just opens up the possibility of more listeners. So it is very yeah. important as a marketing tool. And I think every decision on whether or not to do podcasts in whatever format, it always starts with setting objectives first, defining why you want to do a podcast as a brand, what kind of potential you want to tap into. And then, and I'm trying to make a segue here to the last of your trends, you have to measure it. You have to measure what it actually achieves. So you have to find KPIs that actually work. And I think this, I think we see an explosion of more measurement tools popping up. And this is something that I find both exciting and a little bit overwhelming mm. because back when I was marketing manager at McDonald's, I already had a lot of possibilities to measure the success of the campaigns. And then at Too Good To Go, we had dashboards full of metrics. Mm. So when you said, okay, there is going to be many more metrics, how can we filter through that noise and focus on what's really important? Yeah. In 2024 will make it a bit easier because a lot of our old metrics will fall away because we are not able to measure as much anymore. So we, there was a few things. So in, now in 2023, we already had the transition away from Google to Google Analytics 4. So we're already losing data there. But then now we're also seeing Google slowly removing the third-party cookie tracking. So for anyone who's not super, super niche in, in marketing or super involved in any marketing campaigns, it means that we are able to track less data and specifically mm -hmm. not a third-party data. So if you would then send your customer somewhere on another page and they would purchase there, we were able to track that. And now this is slowly being diminished out. So Google is trying to, therefore, at least that's kind of what they're selling it to us, is trying mm -hmm. to protect your privacy. Obviously, data and also da data protection is getting more and more important. They are only allowing good old first-party party data tracking. So mm -hmm. that means that you own the data, it's your website, you're tracking it there, and that cookie will still work. But that being said, we will have less data in general and will be less reliable. So all the dashboards that you will be that you talked about in your example will either need to be more customized to really your product, your brand, mm -hmm. or you will have less data to look at which might make it less confusing and more actually focused on some data points and some things. But it also gives us as brands or as marketers the chance to have a really good first party data strategy and build that one. And that one is really around trust, consent, uh, explaining what you're doing with certain things to your customers and why you want to have it. And maybe also branching out into different ways of acquiring that data than just with tracking, with cookie tracking. So I think it makes us more creative again, and it should be, you want to build a brand of trust in any case. So I'm not, I'm not very worried by it, but I am aware that a lot of dashboards won't exist in, in their old form anymore in 2024. Yeah, probably not. And thanks again for explaining all what's happening in the background, because 
you and I know this, but maybe some people are not aware of, and I think this cookie-less area, as some called it, will have quite a big impact. Yeah, we will see a lot of it just come into place in this year and how it's really handled in practice. I, th I think a lot of brands, marketing agencies, whatsoever, are still adapting. But now I think we, we also spoke about your trends and what you see happening for 2024. And I would be curious to see if you had a lot of AI on your radar for your trends or if you're also trying to shift away and go more into another direction. Spoiler, AI is not part of my trends because I really wanted to provide something new and fresh to the conversation and to the listeners. I think it will bring quite some change, but I think it's sometimes, and we mentioned this in the first podcast, it's a little bit overvalued, I think, at the moment. So my thoughts on what will drive the market in 2024 is I think there will be three things that I try to keep it also very meta. So the first is marketing will have to be simple. It will have to be strategic and sustainable. So by simple, I mean convenience is still leading the charge. We see that four out of 10 millennials purchase groceries online and get them delivered to their home. And Seth Godin once said, we've gone from hunting and growing our food to pressing three buttons on a phone to get it. So I think there is a lot in there where we see with the increasing popularity of smart speakers, smart TVs, Businesses can more and more leverage these devices to deliver targeted advertisements, personalized recommendations, interactive experiences. And for that, AI can be used, of course. We also see that one of the biggest growing shops in the world is TikTok. They had a 250% increase year over year mm -hmm. from 2020 to 2021. And It even got higher last year. So that's one thing. With the strategic, I mean that I like this saying, marketing without a strategy is like cooking without a recipe. Mm -hmm. It can work if you know what you're doing, but it can also end in a disaster. And I see with a lot of clients that they really struggle getting real success. They put in a lot of work and they don't see the results. So I think a good strategy is needed at the beginning to lay the groundwork for success. And the third thing is sustainability, of course. We see this topic currently everywhere. Almost every brand wants to have a sustainability story and strategy. And also from the legal side, EU regulations will push everyone else who is not aware of this topic yet. So I think it will include a mix of authenticity and boldness on the marketing side. Yeah, that, that's very nice that you also phrased it with your three S's almost. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, simple, strategic, sustainable. And it's almost like it could be a playbook for how you want to write your marketing strategy for, for this year. Because making things simpler, I think, is always a good idea, especially when we have such a loud noise, like busy, loud year yes. this year with everything that's coming from AI side and from trends and so forth. So I think if we dive into your first one, into making it simple, making it convenient and so on, The, the one thing that I think AI falsely often portrays is mm. that it's everything is, is, is making everything simpler. And um, to me, at least it doesn't. At the moment, there is at least four applications that everyone is mm. using, or people I know. So I'm not even sure which one to use now at this stage often. Of course, I'm still still stuck, kind of sticking with what I started with ChatGBT and ChatGBT4 and so on. But there's now all the other ones. There's now almost every week a new tool that it, yes. it can do something for you and a Chrome extension, the new 
AI store, open AI store is launching. So that will be all the applications that use as mm. an API, the JetGBT software. So that's for me already overwhelming. The opposite of simple and that there's so much on the AI front that I can use. In marketing, yes, 100% agree. It's like making it simple, having your your why and having your brand values kind of guide everything. I can totally see how how that is the most easy and also the most authentic way of doing marketing in 2024. Yeah, so I think whenever you come across a brand and you really can feel what this brand stands for without going into depth, they have done a good job when it comes to being simple. We are overwhelmed. I think both you and I mentioned this word also today in this episode. And a lot of our generation, the older generation, the younger generations are overwhelmed. So we don't get a lot of time of the attention span of our target audience. Mm. So we need to be very careful what messages we really want to plant in there. I think Nike has done a great, great job in being the brand stands for personal progression in sports. Mm. Apple has done a great job when it comes to individualization. That's the reason why there is an I in a lot of their products. Mm. And Patagonia has really put a mark in the sustainability area. But all those companies worked on this for a long time. Yeah. And I have a lot of conversations where it's all about hypergrowth. How can we become the next Patagonia? How can we become the next Apple? Or how can we become the next ChatGPT? All those companies worked for decades on their brand and where they are now. There are no easy wins. And mm -hmm. that comes back to, to the usage of ChatGPT and all the AI tools. They also rid us of something. When using tools we tend to rely on them. I mm -hmm. am totally dependent on Google Maps. I can't go anywhere without it. But this also, this dependency on a tool, it always rids us of curiosity. So when I go, for example, to a new country, what I really like is going out of my hotel and just walking and seeing where it leads me to. And I think that's especially important also in marketing because when we go to ChatGPT, It will never show us something new. It will never show us something original. It can spark something, but mm. there is no newness in it. So that's why I'm always hesitant and I'm teaching a class tomorrow on this also for content marketing, because I see a lot of startups saying, okay, we will outsource this to ChatGPT. Yes, that can be great for some parts, but don't outsource everything. Otherwise your content is going to be generic. Because all ChatGPT can produce is generic content because that's if it has been fed with everything that we do and everything that humanity has ever created is mediocre if you just combine it. So that's why I argue we have to be very careful in how we use those tools because simple solutions are most likely not going to come out of an AI interface. Yeah, and this, your second part, the strategic solutions also the ones that I struggle with outsourcing them to, let's say, something like the AI. Because yeah. the strategy is really such a heart piece or almost the soul of a brand. Or if you're a persona or if you're kind of marketing yourself, then it's you. So you don't want to give this voice away. You want to use your voice. Um, that's also why I think the, the strategy will be something 
in the future, if we go way, way far away in the future, will still be done human design, human based, and then maybe the the execution of some strategy. That's that's what we will automate more and more. But exactly. that's why, yeah, I, th- I like that you chose the strategy part as the guiding principle and as your second kind of trend and really seeing having the strategy first before you do anything as like the big, big foundation. Yeah. And, and I would never outsource strategy process to AI mm. because the strategy consists of a clear diagnosis, guiding principles, and then coherent actions where you put it into practice. And the diagnosis is always based on human insight. You need to understand what drives people because you want to influence their decision-making process. And you can only do that when you really understand them. So business with a real strategy will always have the upper hand in this infinite game of today's economy. And because a strategy is always aimed at dealing with a challenge, with a problem. And if you just create a plan, you will solve one problem. So for five problems, you will create five solutions. But a strategy is about creating an advantage, doing something that nobody else is doing, finding a niche. So it's about creating one solution for five problems. And that's why it's a very resource intense process. And you know that being a strategist yourself and working with brands on that, there is nothing you can just clap your hands and say, okay, we have a strategy now here. Mm. There is a lot of thought that has to go in there. And it always, the best strategies are when humans come together, challenge each other, bring in new perspectives and a deep understanding of a target audience. Yeah. And it, for me also, the whole strategy often when I've seen really good strategy presentations or I brainstormed myself or I did it for a client, then you do come back to often like the things that are super hard to to put into any AI. It's like the feeling, the emotion, the pain point. The, it's so many of these like very human things um, to to an extent. At least that's in the in the brands that I'm thinking about. Any big brands that have played out like strategic um, brand really well. Then mm. I think of an emotion or I think of something when I think of of that campaign or that brand or they evoke something. So I'm. I couldn't agree more on, especially in combination with your last point, because now you said as the last S in your, in your trends was the sustainable aspect, sustainability. And for a lot of brands now, so strategy has become sustainable or it has a lot of like the sustainable aspect in it now because of how we put more focus on it because of what you said, there's regulations because of consumers being more cautious, but that it also bears a bit of that whole risk of greenwashing and not Mm. really being really sustainable, but just having it as part of your strategy because you think it's, it's good now. It's cool now to have it. So what was your, your idea when you put sustainable, sustainable down? Was it the fact that you have to include it now in, in a big long-term way, or also are we seeing a lot of this, sustainable things floating in everywhere in each brand but not with a lot of foundation yeah both is the honest answer so one every strategy needs to be based on a consumer insight and what we see is more and more consumers especially from gen alpha gen z millennials demand that companies act based on shared values like sustainability Mm. so there is a need from companies to communicate on that. 
and to align their marketing on that. And because some companies have understood that, they also try to manipulate it with doing greenwashing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of companies think they need to do something and then it doesn't really reflect their values. So it's not authentic. And there was one very good example this year that showed both sides was the Apple human nature campaign with Octavia Spencer. You sent that spot to me. I still remember. And it was a great spot, super emotional, very humorous also. And what they did is they turned off the comments on YouTube, which is okay. You don't need to open every channel. And then there were some people saying, okay, that all sounds super nice, but what's actually behind it? And I really read some deep depth reports on what they're claiming and what they're actually doing. And a lot of the criticists said, but it's all true what they're saying. So they are saying a lot. Of course, they are also saying things about the future. We, we don't know how realistic that approach is going to be and whether it's going to be reality soon. But we see that they are honest about what they're doing now. And they're also honest about they are not doing good now and where they want to improve. So I think that's a very good approach. We, don't, we can't think in good and bad sustainability strategies, but there will be a lot of mixture in the upcoming years. And what we see is with the regulations coming, so we have the consumer demand and we also have regulations, a lot of companies will have to start acting. And last year, I held two sustainability workshops focused on marketing strategies with big companies who know that they have a window of opportunity where they can still define the playing field. Mm. Because when you think about the energy sector, for example, some smart players already claimed the sustainability spot for themselves. So now when regulations hit and everyone has to become mm -hmm. what's called sustainable, the spot for most sustainable energy company is already claimed and it has been picked and the runner-ups will have to find something else. So they might waste some good potential. And we see that especially true with companies that produce a physical product. Yeah. So I talked to a head of marketing from Oatly and from Fislauer, a water brand, and they know what they're doing and they're defining their markets right now. Uh, we also see, for example, a huge growth in secondhand shopping, which is super interesting. So we always see those spots where consumer behavior is already shifting. And lastly, I think sustainability is also especially important for startups mm. because every cohort of a market is now demanding positive change, which means social, environmentally and ethically. So startups have to ensure that they have a business plan that prioritizes people before profits and also be ready to shift from direct-to-consumer to direct-to-investor direct because investors will also have to abide to EU regulations and also get pushed from consumers. So if you don't have a business that is built sustainable as a startup or as a company, you're going to encounter a lot of problems in the upcoming years from a lot of different sides. I'm personally excited about what's going to happen because I think there is a lot of growth potential in there. We can produce more better stuff and also make profit with it to have a great life but we also need to take a look at people and the planet yeah that is that is great a great sum up of everything and everything you just said uh, i do see it in in just in my immediate environment also that i haven't never seen as many job openings for senior sustainability manager at companies yes. like i've seen in the past quarter and all these companies are hiring because of the regulations that you just mentioned because mm. even they are realizing now from profit point of view that there's so much pressure this is now speaking of europe i 
they know too little about the US, but Europe really is getting under pressure now. The companies, big corporates and medium-sized companies to, to be able to measure, to be able to report, to be able to define, to be able to improve. So it is interesting that, that there's so many of these job openings. And if your career is in sustainability in, in any of those, and I congratulate you, you will have lots, lots of companies now trying to, to get you on board. Mm -hmm. And I see that also in, in my work, there are lots of marketing experts out there and not a lot of marketing and sustainability experts, which is why I have the luck of working with a lot of cool companies on, on both of those topics. But it's also the shift because we haven't had that many people who have the necessary experience. So it's really a whole shift that I'm really happy that in Europe we are forcing a little bit. And then what we will see as marketers or on the outside as a consumer is also like more reports of what we're actually doing, yeah. hopefully more transparency, right? And also our right as a consumer to demand it and, and not just be happy with whatever someone is saying or not having a statement, like really hopefully more big companies being much more transparent and showcasing and spearheading a bit will... Yeah will put that pressure even more, even make the pressure even higher so that even smaller companies now have to answer certain questions and have to know certain things about their whole footprint. I think that's, that's a very exciting transition that we're in. And I love that this is becoming such a big part of marketing strategies now and of marketing outlooks. And I think it should be Gener it doesn't matter which generation you are addressing, if it's the alphas or the Gen Z, even our generation, the older generation, I think you can, you can do a lot of edu educating on that front. And it's, we had that, I think in the last episode or so we spoke about it, but it's just so important to send a signal. And this is if you are in any kind of publishing segment, if you're a brand, if you're a company, if you're a marketer, to kind of lead the way yeah. so then more people get inspired and do the same. So I think bottom line is it's a good time to be a strategist and it's a good time for sustainability. Yeah. So Cotter, to wrap this up, because I think it's already the longest running episode <laughs> that I ever produced. It's been so great talking with you because you're such a great expert talking with a fellow strategist who understands the market, the technology how people act. So thank you very much for coming on the show for the second time. Yeah, I hope we, we set a good intention with our trends, but also like a good, almost wishful thinking that will come true with what we were predicting in a way, and especially your last point, that we will see a lot of this change. And always great talking to you and discussing these points. I think we always makes up for super interesting new input when you're actually discussing with someone who's also at that super interesting intersection of sustainability and marketing where you are an expert on, because that's what seems to be the, what's really important in 2024. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for bringing all those bright ideas and trends to the table. And I hope to see you again soon. Thank you soon. <laughs> That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give me a rating and a review. This means the world to me as I really pour my heart into the production and the interviews with those brilliant minds. If you are looking for an easy way to learn strategic marketing 
check out the Simple and Sustainable Marketing Academy, where I share the basics of strategic and sustainable marketing in an online live setting. You can also sign up to my inspiring newsletter, where I deliver valuable thoughts to your inbox on how to achieve sustainable growth. I promise you will like it. And if you want to get in touch and find out more about me and my projects, just have a look at the links in the show notes or find me on Instagram and LinkedIn at Florian Schleicher. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode.